The following podcast is produced on the lands of the Boomerang people of the Kulin Nation in Victoria, Australia. I acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the lands, pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello to the mm, one, two, three, yep, tens of you listening to this debut episode of Bite Your Thumb, a podcast in which I will explore my complete disdain for what is arguably Shakespeare's most well-known play, Romeo and Juliet. Now, this straight-up hatred began when most people get disenchanted from Shakespeare, and that is a high school English class. It was the centre of a whole term of study while I was in year eight. Whilst I understood the language and what was going on for the most part, I just hated the story and everyone involved in it. So just to provide some context, for the first three years of my high schooling career, I was at an all-girls school, so whilst everyone else in my class was hormonally weeping at Juliet shooting her brains out in the Baz Luhrmann film, I remember just sitting there and thinking what a couple of fucking idiots. Yeah as you can probably tell I was extremely bitter for a 14 year old which hasn't really changed much over the past decade. I've definitely developed a better understanding of romantic love and adult relationships than the two titular hornbags I'm about to crap on for the foreseeable. But hey I've made some mistakes but at least I didn't let a weird fryer and wet nurse set up a ton of those mistakes for me so you know swings and roundabouts. Alright, let's take five and let you know whose dulcet tones you're listening to. You're welcome. My name is Jessica. I'm an early career screenwriter and filmmaker, which basically means I've written a couple short films, wrote on a couple community TV series, and will definitely be renting dingy flats forever. Don't get me wrong, I love Shakespeare's plays and sonnets, I actually really do, but the nerd in me is dying to understand why Romeo and Juliet has had the far-reaching social, cultural, media impact that it's had since its inception nearly 430 years ago. I'll be diving into its origins, significant adaptations, and how the story has been viewed through unique readings, including Aboriginal, Torres Strait Island, and queer lenses, which I'm very excited to cover. I'll be jumping from cinema to literature to musical theatre, chatting with actors, writers, critics, and all sorts of very clever, more qualified people than me. In short, I'll be endeavouring to understand more about the impacts this play has had on generations of readers, the good and the unhealthy. But before I do any of that, I have to do something that I haven't done since I was 14 years old, and that's read Romeo and Juliet from start to finish. Alright, so I'm currently in my car because my upstairs neighbours thought it would be a good idea to hold a stomp reunion right above my bedroom ceiling, so yeah, this is the next best recording situation for the time being. So I am sat here with my big old copy of the works of Shakespeare and I've pulled out my bookmark to page 1065. This is where Romeo and Juliet starts. So, oh, here we go. I'm going to start reading it now. I'm going to stop bitching and I'm going to start reading. Yep, two households, both alike in dignity. That is debatable. Oh, so Shakespeare always intended for this to go for two hours. Two hours too long, in my opinion. Here we go. Now we have Samson and Gregory talking about how much they hate the Montagues. Cool, 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 cool. I actually really do like that line from Samson. A dog of that house shall move me to stand. I will take the wall or any man or maid of Montagues. I mean, obviously it's a pretty sinister sort of line, but it's cool. 
I mean, I have said this many times, I do not like Romeo and Juliet, but I do acknowledge that it's actually very well written and there's some great language in the story. So I shall continue for now. Oh, okay. Literally, I went down two lines and I should probably take that back. Yeah, because Samson then says, true, and therefore women, being the weaker vessels, are ever thrust to the wall. Yuck. Sounds like an Australian national. <laughs> Gregory then now says, because the Montagues are coming. He says, draw thy tool. Here comes two of the house of Montagues. And then Samson says, my naked weapon is out. Quarrel, I will back thee. Okay, now, Samson, if you're going to get into a fight with some Montagues, you probably should put your dick away. I mean, that is going to be the first target. Enter Abraham and Balthasar. God, there are good names. Yeah, the bite your thumb at a spit is always a lot of fun, and it's actually one of the few bits of the play that I actually enjoy, hence the name of this podcast. Here we go, another great line from Tybalt. What drawn and talk of peace, I hate the word, as I hate hell, all Montagues and thee. And then he just says, have at thee, coward, and then parentheses, they fight. <laughs> and that, oh yeah, and that that's right. So the full parentheses is, they fight, enter several of both houses who join the fray, then enter citizens with clubs. Okay, I've seen maybe one or two productions of Romeo and Juliet, and I've never seen citizens enter with clubs. I think that's why I'm not jiving with it, because I need to see more citizens with clubs. And it's interesting, because the citizens, they're not even picking sides. They're just going, down with the Capulets, down with the Montagues. I mean, I totally get it, guys. Here comes the prince with his attendants to break it all up, and he has his little monologue. Benvolio is explaining to his uncle, which is Capulet? Wait, what? Shakespeare has a very particular um, talent at drawing out very simple things in very poetic ways. So Benvolio, when asked, oh, where's Romeo? Basically, he says, uh, I saw him walking around the sycamore or the wood early this morning. I tried to approach him, but he ran off and I was like, oh, I'll leave him alone. But it's done in like... 10 lines, which is kind of brilliant. I love this from Montague. Many a morning hath he there been seen with tears augmenting the fresh morning's dew. So basically Romeo is going through his My Comical Romance phase. Yeah, okay. Basically through this whole section, Romeo is going on about how depressed he is because his love is unreturned. I wonder why I didn't relate to Romeo more as a 14-year-old. Like, this is definitely what I was feeling the majority of the time. Again, another great line I do have to admit. So we're talking about Rosalind? 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 Yeah, that's her name. She'll not be hit with Cupid's arrows. She hath Dian's wit, and in strong proof of chastity well armed, from love's weak childish bow she lives unharmed. I want to know more about Rosalind, honestly. She sounds like a strong, independent woman. She's not going to take any loser under her wing. Like, you know, she's going to be chased until something good comes along. And you know what? She's dodged a fucking bullet. And here we are up to scene two, where Capulet and Paris are negotiating pretty much the sale of Juliet. That's just fabulous. And this is her own dad saying, ere we may think her ripe to be a bride. Like, fuck off, mate. Okay, and Paris says, younger than she, our happy mother's maid. What the fuck do you know? So basically, getting her consent is going to be pretty easy because she basically has no choice. I'm going to hold a big old dinner. Cool. Okay, here's, here's where Capulet makes his first mistake. So he writes down a party list of all the people that he wants to show up at this feast, and he gives it to a servant who can't read. So he's basically just going to go out to everyone and is like, um, is your name on this list? I can't read. Mistake number one. Romeo is going on about how he is bound more than a madman is, shut up in prison, kept without my food, whipped and tormented. Get a clue, Romeo. <laughs> first world problems, am I right? 
All right, so I've skipped ahead a little bit. I was getting too caught up in um, scene two of act one, and I've skipped ahead a little bit. Basically, Romeo is convinced to go to this party. He's like, oh, but I'm never going to see a fairer maid than Rosalind. And his cousin's like, no, you're going to see some fine bitches. Just wait and see. And then smash cut to Juliet, her mum, and her nurse, basically telling Juliet, yo, you're going to get married and just check out Paris, you know? And she does the whole judge not a book by its cover and open it up and you might see something beautiful. And then the nurse goes on about how she used to breastfeed Juliet and how she bumped her head once when she was a baby and she just goes on for way too long and Lady Capulet is like, yo, shut up, I'm trying to tell my daughter something. Can you just shut up for a second? And she's like, oh no, but I remember when she bumped her head, oh my lord. And the nurse is, <laughs> is just, she's just way too much already. I'm already annoyed with her. Okay, Romeo is still in his My Chemical Romance phase. He's just so depressed. Like, you're about to do a 360, lad. Just wait up. Again, I don't know why I didn't relate to Romeo more. He says here, um, scene for act one, he says, Is love a tender thing? It is too rough, too rude, too boisterous, and it pricks like thorn. Boy, true. This sounds a little bit crazy, or perhaps even just toxic. Like, Mercutio, after Romeo um, questions if love is a tender thing, he says, If love is rough with you, be rough with love. Prick love for pricking, and you beat love down. Oh. Okay, I just sped read through this monologue by Mercutio, and I don't even really know what he's talking about. And Romeo <laughs> reflects my thoughts. He says, Peace, peace, Mercutio, peace. Thou talkest of nothing. Fucking true. All right, here we go. We have Capula welcoming everyone into the feast, and then we have the famous She Doth Teach the Torches to Burn Bright monologue from Romeo. Like I said, 360, Rosalind, you pretty much don't exist anymore. And Tybalt is pretty quick to pick up on the pace because he hears Romeo monologuing and like, yep, this is the voice of a Montague, I need to stab a bitch. And Capulet, he actually is smart about the situation. He acknowledges, yeah, that's probably Romeo, but leave him alone. He's a good kid and I don't want any more trouble in this house. If only that was the attitude you had taken up a while ago. <laughs> I love that Capulet calls Tybalt a saucy boy. Oh, these are the moments that make reading Shakespeare worthwhile, I swear. Oh, here we go. And this is the scene where Romeo peer pressures Juliet to make out with him. Love it. I mean, she is a 13-year-old. She doesn't know any better. I mean, I probably would have done the same as a 13-year-old if a hot boy came up to me. And he's like, I'm going to kiss you now. I would have been like, okay. Oh, here comes the nurse. Cock block. Okay, wow. Juliet has quickly changed her opinion on marriage because she's asking the nurse to go get Romeo's name. And she says, if he be married, my grave is like to be my wedding bed. Jesus. Calm down. All right, we're finally up to act two. <sighs> Nearly there. I love that Mercutio and Brunvalio are trying to find Romeo. They don't know where he's gone off to. And that... <laughs> And Mercutio is like, oh, I'm going to talk some saucy shit about, you know, about Rosalind, that maybe that will anger him and he'll appear out of nowhere. And then they realize that that doesn't work. And they're like, mm, screw it, we'll just go to bed. He'll turn up later. Here we go. Capulet's garden, the famous balcony scene. So they do the whole, oh, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou? Refuse thy name. And Romeo says, by your name, I know not how to tell thee who I am. My name, dear saint, is hateful to myself because it is an enemy to thee. Had I it written, I would tear the word. That's actually pretty significant because they realise just because of their family names and who they belong to, they have to be sworn enemies. And if they could discard their names, then they could be free. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? I love how they're saying all these incredibly beautifully written things about love and what they would do for each other. But honestly, it's just down to fucking. That's all they're feeling. Because think about it. They get married later on and they obviously have sex. But... 
what if they hadn't died? What if they had just gotten to live with each other for more than a few days? Would they have actually liked each other at all? Blah, 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 blah. Yep, let's get married. Let's meet up later and do that. And here we go. Here's the nurse cock blocking again. Blah, blah, blah. All right. Romeo has gone to Friar Lawrence to have a chat with him about marrying him to Juliet. And Friar Lawrence is like, okay, were you with Rosalind all night? I can tell you've been up all night. Were you with Rosalind? And Romeo's like, ugh, no, I've forgotten that, bitch. I've been with Juliet. I want to marry her. And Friar Lawrence is straight up, like, you were having your... <laughs> you were having your Jared Way moment all about Rosalind and being depressed as fuck. But now you're all about this Juliet girl? I mean, okay, I'll marry you too. Whatever. His reasoning and his agree agreement to do this is sort of valiant because he does want the two houses to get along. Because I think, like those citizens with their clubs, he's sick of them fighting. So he has good intentions, but he's about to screw up real bad. Here we go. Act two. Here we go. Act two, scene four. A street. Love it. <laughs> and here we go. Mercutio and Benvolio are still looking for him. Like, where the hell is he? <laughs> I actually love this. I can't believe I didn't remember this Mercutio. He's hilarious. He's just the ultimate drama queen. So he says to Romeo, entering, Signor Romeo, bonjour. There's a French salutation to your French slop. Like, I have no idea what that means, but that's hilarious. I love that Romeo has just summed up Mercutio in a single line. The nurse has asked, okay, who the hell was that guy? And Romeo says, a gentleman nurse that loves to hear himself talk and will speak more in a minute than he will stand in a month. I think that sounds very similar to a certain American president. Oh, okay, so this is literally the day after they met. Like, the, not even a day. They've probably met, what, six or seven hours ago last night, and then the following afternoon they're going to get married. I love how beforehand the nurse was all about Juliet getting married and getting emotional, but she just straight up admits here that Paris is a straight-up toad as she sees him and just straight-up agrees to let Romeo marry her, despite the fact that she doesn't really know him that well. I mean... Maybe Romeo has a reputation for being a good kid, as Capulet said, so that's why she's so trusting to let this marriage happen. But, you know, an enabler is an enabler. Thrown through. <sighs> okay, blah, 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 blah. And a nurse and Peter. Okay, the nurse rushes in, says, okay, you're going to get married. Let's go to Friar Lawrence's cellar place. And Juliet's like, hell yeah, let's fucking go. That's actually a really nice line to end this little scene on. It's only scene six. It's pretty short. And then it goes on to act three. But just to finish up act two, Friar Lawrence says to Romeo and Juliet, come, come with me and we will make short work. For by your leaves, you shall not stay alone till Holy Church incorporate two in one. That's actually pretty sweet. So the settings of each scene is just even more detailed than the last. So last bef before we had a street and now we're in scene one, act three, a public place. Just keeping it vague. Oh, here we go. We have Mercutio Benvolio. We have some servants. We have Romeo. feel like we're going to have some shit coming up. And here's Tybalt. Here we go. This is the famous pox upon your house scene I'm about to read. Poor Romeo. He's trying to come up to his, you know, new, what is it, cousin-in-law? Is that the relation? I think it is. Cousin-in-law. It's like, dude, I love you. We're now related. And Tybalt's like, what? <laughs> Oh, and there we go. Mercutio has been straight up stabbed, straight up impaled. Oh, here we go. I always thought the line was a pox on your houses. Maybe that's been changed because in this version that I'm reading, well, I'm hoping it's the original version, but it is, he says a plague on, on both your houses. The hurt can't be much. I mean, surely it's not that deep. But Mercutio says, eh, it's not so deep as a well, but tis enough that I'm going to die. Okay. <laughs> what? 
Okay, so Romeo, his reputation has been stained, and he says, Oh, sweet Juliet, thy beauty hath made me effeminate, and in my temper softened valor still. You know what? Okay. So, having emotions and feeling things does not make you effeminate. It just makes you a human being, Romeo. Come on. Romeo gets his revenge and fights Tybalt, and Tybalt falls. There we go. Okay, get out of here. You've just killed your cousin-in-law. Get out of here. Poor Juliet, she has to find out that Romeo killed her cousin. I mean, that's not one of the things you want your husband to do. I mean, that's not high up on the list. Maybe wash the dishes, take the dog for a walk, kill my cousin? Nah. I love how the nurse straight up says after breaking this horrible news, look, I'll go find Romeo, he'll come and comfort you in sexual ways, so this will seem less bad. Okay, bye. I mean, Friar Lawrence, okay, so this is, sorry, I've jumped ahead. This is now scene three, act two, and Friar Lawrence is met with Romeo, who is in a pretty bad state, I would say, and Friar Lawrence is, he's trying to be the, the optimist. He's saying, you know what? The world is pretty big and wide. The world is bigger than Verona. I think you'll be fine. And you know what? You've just been banished by the prince. You could have been fucking killed, dude. I mean, look on the upside. Your 13-year-old bride is not worth all this trouble. Let's be real. The Capulet house is in mourning because one of their kinsmen has been killed and Paris shows up. It's like, mm, yeah, I'm so sorry that, you know, Tybalt is dead. That really sucks. I really liked him a lot. Anyway, uh, how soon can I marry Juliet? Uh, is Wednesday? Thursday good? Yeah, Thursday. Thursday! Let's get married Thursday. Okay, glad I sorted that out. Ugh. So wait, is it Thursday or next Thursday? Ugh, who cares? They're going to be dead by then. Ugh, okay, so Capulet being the ever-affectionate father says, I am going to actually drag you to St. Peter's Church. And he calls her a green sickness carrion? That is so rude. Ugh, Capulet is such a bastard. And I think this is literally the last time he talks to his daughter and she's going to be in a deep sleep and then she's going to be dead. He's going to regret this so bad. And the mum is like, yeah, I know your dad just yelled at you a bunch, but sorry, you got to get married. Bye. Yeah, Juliet is not in a good place. She's getting all this shit thrown at her. All because she made out with some random guy and then married him the next day. Okay, so Juliet has gone to Friar Lawrence's cell to speak with him and Paris is there. And Paris is like, oh yeah, just tell, just you don't have to confess to him that you love me. You can just tell me to my face. And she's like, mm, I'd rather, you know... Speak it to your back than to your face, which means not at all. Juliet is just going on and on about how she'd rather be dead than marrying Paris and everything is the worst. And then Friar Lawrence just comes out with the worst idea ever. Yep, blah, 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 blah. You're going to be looking like you're dead. They're going to put you in the vault and then we'll come and get you out. <laughs> oh, this is just all types of wrong. Again, an enabler is an enabler. Nurse, enabler. Friar Lawrence, enabler. I mean, he has good intentions, but he's just going about it the wrong way. Honestly, he's just doing this to cover his own face, because he knows if he does it all out in the open and actually says what he wants, which is getting those two families to get on together. If he does it all out in the open, he'll be straight up murked. But he's not willing to risk that. He wants to save his own face by doing this all secretly. So, you know what? I don't know how I feel about the fryer right now. I really don't. Blah, blah, blah. God, I'm hungry. I'm going to have lunch after this. I'm starving. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, here we go. And Juliet goes up to her dad and pretends to apologise. It's like, yeah, I'll go and marry him. Lol, not really. <laughs> and she says, nurse, yeah, come with me to my bedroom. We're going to go find my wedding dress. What I'll wear tomorrow. And Capulet says, yeah, that's all great. And Juliet's going to be like, nah, I'm going to eat this poison. So Juliet already has her dagger 
So if the mixture doesn't work at all and she has to get married, then she's going to stab herself. So that is some foreshadowing. I love that in parentheses to end the scene, she, she just throws herself on the bed. That's great. And here comes Friar Lawrence. Come, is the bride ready to go to church? Good acting. Here we go. Friar Lawrence is ready to organize this wedding into a funeral. Let's get her into the family tomb. Let's go, guys. Romeo is in Mantua where he's sort of safe and then enters Balthazar to give the news because the friar's letter does not arrive on time or his messenger or whatever. Oh, my God. I go back to (laughs) Verona tonight. Balthazar, I impeach you. Don't do it. And Romeo's like, fuck you. I'm going back. Give me some poison. All right. Oh, dear. That's just... Not great. Oh, okay. So there's this other friar, Friar John, who was trying to get Friar Lawrence's letter out to Romeo, but no messengers would take the letter because they thought Friar John was in a house, like, infected with the plague, and that's why he still has the letter. God damn it. So, really, yeah, I get it. Friar Lawrence was trying to do the good thing, but this is all just really bad. Lots of bad consequences, lots of bad... (laughs) circumstances and lots of bad choices just by everyone. Romeo comes along and Paris is like, stop! I fucking kill you! And (laughs) stabs him. I love that Paris says, oh, I am slain! Falls. (laughs) I love that Friar Lawrence is there when Juliet wakes up, which I think a lot of people tend to forget that Friar Lawrence is actually there when she wakes up. And he's like, look, there's been a lot of death. I'll get you to a nunnery where you can be with the sisters. So, yeah. Let's just get you out of here. And he tries to get her to go along. And Juliet is like, fuck off. And he's like, yeah, okay, whatever. I'm out. And he just leaves. Oof. Just straight up Stabbingtons. Oh, yeah, that's right. And Montague comes in and he says that his wife is dead because she died of a broken heart. Oh, my God. So Montague has lost his wife and his son. That's a lot of death. Wait, did they lose a cousin? See, I'm so bad at keeping track of all the characters. I don't know who's dead. Just ev- just everyone. Everyone's dead. Okay, so eventually everyone comes together in the tomb and the prince is there. I love that he just basically turns to everyone. And he's like, look, look what you have done. You guys have fucked up royally. There we go. Some shall be pardoned and some punished. For never was a story of more woe than this of Juliet and her Romeo. Ugh, done. Done, done, done. Thank God. <laughs> So that is it. I finally managed to reread Romeo and Juliet. What an experience that was. Coming at it now from an adult perspective rather than a grumpy 14-year-old perspective, I honestly didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did. Not that I actually like the story now. I enjoyed only how ridiculous and flimsy it really all is. It's like watching a so bad it's good movie unfold. I'm going to be controversial and say Romeo and Juliet is the Tommy Wiseau, the room or the cats of Shakespeare's works. One of the strongest things that stuck with me during the reading was Friar John at the end and how he was just shoehorned in just to give us as the audience and the overall story a justifiable whoopsie to not get the message to Romeo in time that his child bride isn't actually dead but resting. I feel the tragedy of Romeo's misunderstanding would have actually hit harder 
either if it was Friar Lawrence lamenting his own direct failure to get his message to him on time, or if Friar John was introduced earlier on in the story, or was just a more present character throughout the whole play. And I'll admit, Mercutio is an enjoyable character. He's like a figure ripped out from Commedia dell'arte. He's just a massive clown with really questionable moral standpoints. I mean, you can say that about every character Shakespeare ever conjured, really. I think looking back over this play now and actually sitting down and reading it from start to finish again, there is a massive purifying of Shakespeare in schools and in the general conscience that makes these stories, well, these plays rather, on a surface level seem really pure and just good, honourable literature that is the pinnacle of the Western canon. But that is such a problem because the amount of dick talk and casual mentions of gross sexual activity, abuse of power and drugs is all over the story and all over a lot of Shakespeare's plays. Shakespeare is ghetto as hell. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's what gave Shakespeare the edge to last out for centuries. It's what makes people go back again and again to discuss and reflect on the good parts and the problematic parts because there's plenty of those too. It starts really interesting debates about his writing and how it's transformed over time, which as readers and, and writers and critics we should always be doing anyway. However, this is not the end of the discussion, but this will be the end of solo episodes for the time being. Until next time, stay safe out there on the world of the stage, and stay away from currish, dread-bolted flapdragons. They're no good news. Thank you for listening to Bite Your Thumb. Intro and outro music is Minstrel Guild by Kevin McCloyd. You can follow Bite Your Thumb on Instagram at biteyourthumbpod, and for any questions, inquiries, or a sonnet, you can shoot us an email at biteyourthumbpod at gmail.com.